Wake up, wake up, 49ers fans. It is good to have you again. Thank you for choosing Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger and 49ers wake up, Larry. Oh, my goodness. The weekend that everybody circled as soon as the regular season schedule came out is finally here. I am ready to go, man. How are you? Doing great. Can't wait. We are two days away from um, a game that we have waited a long time to see because we wanted to see Niners Eagles last year. We got robbed of it. Uh, any way you slice it, um, it wasn't what uh, we were hoping it would be last time around. And um, we're going to see it this time. And I'm excited to see it. And I feel good about the 49ers chances. Look, there, there's nothing. There's no greater X factor to change what could be the possible outcome of a game than having a quarterback who is basically statistically leading the league in all important categories playing in that game. And that quarterback is Brock Purdy. The story is just, it's an unbelievable story, which can either see its momentum slow down. Should they go to Philadelphia and not have the afternoon that they hope for, but Larry looking at the other side of that coin, I mean, this is the weekend where Brock Purdy can absolutely become a household name if he isn't one already. I think that the path to beat the Eagles comes directly off of his right arm. I mean, this is a team that can be had in its secondary. Uh, I think you and I both agree that Darius Slay is an absolute stud. Everyone else is up for grabs in that secondary. I, I know that a lot of the conversations that you've had with some folks inside the Eagles and in Philadelphia have told you that, you know, safeties are a little slow. Linebackers are a little slow in pass coverage. And this just sounds to me like the problem spot for the Eagles that Kyle Shanahan has had three extra days to come up with different ways to frustrate them. They're 29th in passing yards allowed, 31st in passing touchdowns allowed. This is a huge stage for Brock Purdy and a huge opportunity to show a world that still has its doubters exactly who he is and what he can do. He could emerge out of this weekend as the favorite for the MVP if he plays well enough and if the 49ers can secure that victory on the road. Uh, the big question for me is, you know, who are we going to see in this game? I was looking at the injury report. Typically, the guys who don't practice on Thursday, you know, at least as far as the 49ers are concerned, typically don't play. Now, there are exceptions to every rule, but like, for example, the Eagles yesterday took uh, the field for practice. There was no Fletcher Cox. Uh, there was no Dallas Goddard, and there was no Zach Cunningham. And there's a lot of talk, and Milton Williams is battling you know, the concussion, uh, Lane Johnson is not a hundred percent either. So, um, if you take away Cunningham and Cox from their run D, I, I think you lose their number one and number two run defenders in their front seven. So does it change the game plan? Does it make it more of a run heavy plan? Do the Niners try to focus more on just pounding CMC who might be the MVP at, at, at this minute? Um, at the Eagles defense. I mean, that's that's a big one. And we got great matchups all over the field as well. I mean, James Bradbury and Debo Samuel is going to be really, really good. Um, you know, the, those guys, um, you know, the, the, everybody's jawing. And, um, you know, you look at those numbers that you mentioned, the Eagles are, are you know, bottom tier when it comes to pass defense. I mean, they're, they're 19th in total defense. They're 29th in pass defense. 
So, um, we're, you know, to me, the, the one area of the field where the 49ers have a clear advantage is the middle. They don't have Chauncey Gardner-Johnson anymore. They picked up Kevin Byard. Byard is a tremendous player, but, um, you know, the 49ers really live in the middle of that field, whether it be with Kittle, Ayuk, CMC, Debo, Juwan Jennings. I mean, they live in the intermediate middle, and I think that's where the Eagles are ripe for the picking. So um, can the Niners – it's all it's all theoretical till you get out there on the field, you know, with the – wind howling and the fans going crazy and you know whatever weather it's mostly going to be in the 50s so the weather i mean the question the interesting little revelation of yesterday i thought damon was brock purdy telling us that if it rains a little he won't wear a glove but if it rains a lot he may put on a glove and he's done it before at iowa state so we may see purdy throwing the ball a wet ball but with a glove we'll see Will he go double gloves or just glove on the throwing hand? We got full Michael Jackson. I think it, I could be just glove on the throwing hand for for better grip. Something to keep an eye on. I you know I I was like you, Larry, coming up with different ways to talk about this game all week long, and I think maybe the single biggest one on one matchup because if this matchup can be gobbled up one on one, it springs George Kittle. It springs. Kyle Juszczyk, it, 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 it springs, um, it, it, it just, uh, Colton McKivitz and Hassan Reddick. If Colton McKivitz can handle Hassan Reddick, then you don't have Kittle there. You don't have Juszczyk there having to double team, keep an eye on this incredibly destructive pass rusher. And if McKivitz can really handle that job, now all of a sudden you got four guys, three guys out in that pattern, which is something that we were talking about a few weeks ago. And George Kittle and Juszczyk taking advantage of slower, harder to defend is in terms of pass defenders, uh, linebackers and safeties. I mean, that that's where an awful lot of yardage is. You talk about the middle of the field. I mean, you're telling me Kyle hasn't spent all week long looking for the slowest linebacker and how he can isolate Christian McCaffrey on that linebacker coming out of the backfield. This is what this is the tic-tac-toe that Kyle's been playing all week long. You know, all week long, he is looking for that one play, that one matchup that's an eight-yard slant to the wrong guy, and then all of a sudden it is goodbye. And this is this is the chess game that we're going to watch unfold this Sunday. It is the final the, the the final month of the year. It's the final stretch of the year. It begins with the the final billing game of the year. And look, give the the Eagles an awful lot of credit. They've been in the game of the year like two or three different times this year. They are, as you and I talked about, a little bit beat up, reflected in their practice report. Reflected in those defensive snap counts over the last couple of weeks, they certainly do take their toll. Um, this is a sport that taxes bodies, and I think the Eagles have been paying an awful lot of that tax. So um, it feels like, you know, if you could set up the scenario for this game to go and be played under, the Niners would dial up an awful lot of what has happened here coming into this game. And the question will be now, will they take advantage of it? You know, it, it's it's amazing to me how the spread to me is amazing. 
Uh, the Niners minus three. It's amazing to me the number of people that don't feel like this is going to be a particularly close game, and they feel like the Niners are going to wind up winning big. Um, I guess I just can't allow myself to think like that just because I, I've got great respect for the run that Philly's on and how, how much talent they have. But to me, these are undoubtedly the two best teams in the conference. And uh, I've been pointing to this game since the schedule came out. I mean, you know, real, really, I mean, it's um, the 49ers feel like they have some unfinished business. And I wasn't sure which games, you know, we were going through the schedule at the beginning of the year, which games the Niners would show up for, which games they wouldn't. You know, is this a win? Is that a loss? It's always hard to do. You know, when the schedule comes out in May, it's equally hard to do in July and training camp. Uh, you do it again at the beginning of the regular season and you start to kind of project. But the one thing I've projected all year is that the 49ers are going to show up for this game in Philadelphia. Um, and just from being in the locker room this week, they're loose. Well, that's, that's they're loose. After. You've been around the team. You can get the sense of, you know, a, a team that's feeling pressure. You get the sense of a team that's feeling loose and confident in, in itself. And, and that's what you picked up, huh? Very loose, very loose team. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't call it cockiness. They know the task that they have in front of them. They know how good Philadelphia is. They know what a tough place that is to play. Uh, they got nothing but respect for their opponent here, but they're not walking into this thing going, oh, shucks, I don't know. You know, they 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 think they're pretty good. Uh, Ambry Thomas said, you know, hey, we got a lot of good players in this room. So um, there's a lot of individual matchups that I think we'll get into this morning that I think are going to be really uh, very interesting and worth discussing. But, you know, like, for example, last week, Mooney Ward traveled from, from side to side wherever DK Metcalf went on Thanksgiving night. Mooney followed. But Steve Wilkes wouldn't commit to whether or not that would be the plan this week against A.J. Brown. Um, A.J. Brown is a far better receiver than D.K. Metcalf. They both played at Ole Miss, by the way, and they played on the same teams. But but A.J. Brown was the star. By the way, don't, don't, don't tell that to D.K. Metcalf last night, who in a losing effort for Seattle had about as good of a football game as a wide receiver can have. My oh, God, he was awesome last yeah, night. Yeah, and he isn't. A, he, I mean, he physically, he's as bad, you know, He's big and bad, and there's no question. But Mooney Ward, um, you know, is almost the perfect. You know, he, Ward has a lot of confidence. Let's just say against Metcalf, um, and the 49ers feel like you know he dominates Metcalf, so he travels with Metcalf. Now I don't know if they're going to do the same thing this week uh, with with AJ Brown, or if they'll just play aside. Um, I do know this that Ambry Thomas went up against Devontae Smith. Um, at, in a bowl game when Michigan played Alabama, and I said, "How'd you do against him?" He said, "I did. I did well. I did well against him." And and so I think Ambry's looking looking forward to that matchup. To me, the one key element in this game is, you know, the Niners have five young DBs, right? Um, and Steve Wilkes is an excellent defensive backfield coach, but they've got five youngsters back there: Diamador Lenore. Ambry Thomas, Jair Brown, Darrell Luter Jr., Samuel Womack III. Those five guys are all young players. Um, and I asked Steve, you know, what can you do to coach them up quick? You know, what can you do to get them ready? And he said, you know, we're not necessarily focusing on the stage or, 
you know, the pressure, you know, we're just focusing on us internally, what we can do as individuals to be better. So I think that's probably the right approach. But Damon, I mean, there's no question in my mind that the Niners have their future DBs on this roster here. Lenore, Thomas, Brown are three of their four starters back there right now. And then Luter and Womack are coming off the bench, and they're just fresh off the PUP for Luter and the IR for Womack. But um, what you know, the the level of poise that the Niner young DBs play with in this game against Devonte and Am- and and uh, AJ Brown are to me is going to be maybe the number one question: Can the Niner youngsters on the back end? Um, Brown's a rookie for crying out loud, and so's Luter. Um, you know, can they? And and Ambry has not played very much. Can these guys play with poise down the field with the ball in the air? Uh, with all the pressure that comes with this game. We're going to find out. It's a big, big game for the young DBs. By the way, good to see London in the house this morning. How about that? Here for a little vengeance. I like that very much. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Vengeance for the 49ers. Maybe vengeance for me and Larry along the way. Everyone here is uh, keeping receipts on, on what happened and what's going forward. I couldn't help but notice, as you talked about the entirety of the 49ers secondary, Isaiah Oliver's name was totally out of the mix. Do you think that he is now persona non grata in teams' game plans and 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 the Niners are are turning away from him in more moments than they're going to turn back to him? Well, Steve like likes him a lot. I mean, I think Steve had a Steve Wilkes that is had a lot to do with um with Oliver being here, but he's clearly, you know, their three best corners are Mooney. Lenore and Ambry. Then the question is, is Oliver the next man up? And he probably is, but you also have Womack there. You have Luter there. And I think Womack and Luter have better athleticism than Oliver. Oliver is a smarter veteran player. Um, I think my guess is Oliver is the first guy off the bench and Luter and Womack are further down the depth chart right now. But yeah, I don't, I think Oliver is on a kind of a show me, you know, snap to snap mode because he did allow a hundred percent completion percentage over a three week period there, three or four week period. And the Niners knew they needed to do better. So this is right when they got chase young, they added young up front. Um, Wilkes told us yesterday that he feels that Armstead and Hargrave, um, you know, got their legs back during the bye week. And, um, I, I personally, if I have one prediction I'm going to make on this thing, as far as the Niners personnel, I think Hargrave's going to have a huge game, huge game. Um, I think another guy that's going to have a huge game that I talked to yesterday was Javon Kinlaw. You know, I went up to Kinlaw and I said, Hey man, uh, everybody's talking about that Ambry interception. You bull rush the hell out of that center on that play. He had a huge smile and he's like, gave me a dap and he's like, thanks man. I appreciate it. He had the he had the the bull rush of bull rushes last week that led to that Ambry interception. Kinlaw knows what that film looked like when the Niners played the Eagles. He knows what people were saying about him. So I expect Kinlaw to fire. I expect Javon Hargrave to have a phenomenal game. And um, and you know the the Niner defensive front line has looked really good since they added Chase Young. 
Just want to say good morning to everyone. It is so good to have you here. Thanks for stopping by. It's 49ers Wake Up, Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger. We're getting you ready for the game of the year in Philadelphia. Some early places to have your eyeballs in this game in terms of early indicators, how the entire day might go. The first thing I'm looking at speaks directly to what you're just talking about with Kinlaw and Hargrave. What kind of pocket is, is Jalen Hurts looking at? What kind of pocket does he have in that first quarter is the Philadelphia offensive line, you know, kind of living up to their reputation as this really good run blocking unit, pass blocking, maybe a little bit less so. And now it's up to Hertz to keep plays alive with his legs. And boy, he is fantastic at that. He really is. Um, but how comfortable is Jalen Hurts in a pocket is one of the first like boxes to check I'm going to be looking at. And then beyond that, Larry, when the Eagles have the ball. I don't know if there's going to be a more important down for the 49ers than first down. I think first down is where this game is won or lost for the 49ers defensively. Keeping the Eagles out of third and manageable, fourth and short, has to be at the top of Steve Wilkes' game plan. Because they really are the same way the Yankees used to play eight inning games because you had Mariano Rivera like God's perfect closer, basically waiting for you in the ninth. They were playing eight inning games. That's an incredible advantage. The Eagles are playing as if fourth and short doesn't even matter or exist. That is a incredible advantage. And the way you stop the brotherly shove, this is something that we've talked about this year, is to avoid the situation that sets up the brotherly shove is coming. And that means staying out of fourth and short, staying out of third and short. And first down, is the down of the game, I think, for the 49ers defense. And it's it's not sexy. It's it's probably going to be, uh, you know, we, we all talk about you know, lean in for third down, lean in for fourth down, because these are more important than first or second. Well, not really. Not, not really, they aren't. One of the reasons why the Niners have been a monster this year is because of how good they've been on first and second down. Um, you know, lot, lot, if you don't see third down, that's a good afternoon for your offense. So I just think that that is, you know, as, as you're looking to settle into your couch and settle into the game and what do you need to be looking at other than, you know, wide receivers and cornerback matchups and the scoreboard, how's that pocket look for Hertz? And what are the Eagles not doing on first down? I think that that's where an awful lot of this game plan has to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, for, you know, first and second down for sure. I mean, um, the, the, the key guy <clears throat> I think is Nick Bosa, you know, because Bosa, when he's really going well, can draw penalties on offensive linemen, like the, you know, as well as any defensive lineman in football, he puts a ton of pressure on you and you have to clutch and you have to grab and you got to hold and you got, you got to hook them and you got to try to, you know, cheat as much as they can, as much as you possibly can. We asked Nick this week about the matchups and he's like, Hey, you know, this is a veteran savvy line and they clutch and grab as much as well as any team out there. Um, and when he was asked about how do you defend Hertz? He's like, we really have to rush as one. And what he's talking about there is that, you know, the one thing is to me, the wild card with the Eagles, what makes the Eagles offense really on a different level and one of the most difficult in all football to defend is you have a running game with DeAndre Swift and Hertz onto some designed runs. They also have Boston Scott. 
Kenneth Gainwell. They can run the ball. They got a big physical offensive line. They can run the ball. Then they have two number one receivers, right? And then Goddard, who's probably not going to go in this game, is as good a receiving tight end as there is. He's 6'5 and, and in his prime. So you've got great weapons. You've got a quarterback that can run, and you've got um, designed runs, and then you've got a running game that's really strong and a strong offensive line. So they they check all the boxes. Where they get no, next-level-esque is um, scrambling. You know, when so what Bose is talking about is whether, you know, they did a great job last week. If you go back and watch that all 22 against Seattle, they shrunk the pocket on Geno. As much as they rushed him, they shrunk the pocket. And almost on every sack, it was like two 49ers coming from different angles, pinching him in there. Yeah. They didn't give him a run lane to escape out to. And I think that to me is the number one thing in this game on the Niners defensive side of the ball is they have to rush in lanes and they have to rush as one and they cannot give Jalen Hurts an obvious run lane because no matter what pass play they call, if he he holds the ball more than any quarterback in football, that's why he's taken the sacks that he's taken. And that's also why he puts so much pressure on a defense, but he'll drop back to pass. He'll survey the field. He then, if you, if, because you're playing, you know, TE games and guys are all over the place. If you give him an open run lane, he is very patient and will take it and go on to the next play. So that is the backbreaker. And that's the thing that is so deflating for defensive linemen is when he scrambles, when everything's covered and the rush is great and he's got nowhere to go with it. And then he scrambles for a first down. And that is what's so deflating. So they have to make sure that they rush as one and keep him hemmed in. Both these teams are top 10 in total yards, in yards per play, in rushing yards. There is an efficiency that both these teams have played with all year. The 49ers very dramatically showing it to you, maybe more often than the Eagles have because the Eagles have been in a few more dogfight games. But again, I respect the dog that wins the dogfights. 10-1, whether it be large margin of victory or small margin of victory, is 10-1. and one. And you can't argue with 10-1 and one on a football field. You can't argue with a team that has yet to lose a game at home. And that's who the Eagles are. So... Huge week for Kyle Shanahan. You know, obviously the players decide what's going to happen. But when I think of, you know, what is Kyle's incomplete? Larry, I think you and I have a tremendous amount of respect for who he is, what he does. And even the shortcoming of having not won a Super Bowl is something that you and I have always been able to look beyond to find the actual coach that is there. And I know that there are a bunch of fans that still want him to have that fourth quarter come from behind win that is absent in his resume as 49ers head coach. Um, and, and, you know, I can still see beyond that, though. I really do. But this is another one of those, this is a big game. Whether you want to admit it or not, this is, this. it's not a playoff game, but in a weird way, it's, it's going to affect a path in the playoffs so dramatically, possibly it almost is. I, I, I did a segment this week said, this is the, the NFL's version of an in-season tournament. You know, the in-season tournament is there to manufacture pretend consequence for disposable early season NBA games. This is a game that has consequence attached to it. 
and therefore it's a big game, and therefore Kyle's going to be under an even harsher microscope if they lose, then he will be applauded should they win. Because if they win, it's still not the big one. But if they lose, everyone will say, well, it was a big game, and Kyle lost it. Um, I, I think it's a huge week for Shanahan. And if there were one week in the year for one opponent that he could get three extra days of prep for, I think he would have chosen this game. I mean, it, it set up the best it possibly could be for a game that's not a home game for the Niners, isn't it? I mean, I think so. I mean, other than the fact it's in Philly. Um, right. It's, that's the only thing that doesn't make it the perfect scenario to go win in. It's, it's, it, you're in a tough environment. But beyond that, this is the perfect setup. It really is. Eagles coming in a little gassed and tired. You got extra rest. Everyone's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Like you said, the entire locker room knows the magnitude of the game, but it's still nice and loose. Um, this team has played better in its three weeks. In the three victories since the bye, they've been more impressive than the five victories before the bye. Like they're the peak of the Niners season, I think is happening at the right time to meet this game. They're rounding into form. It's clear on both sides of the ball. You know, they're also kind of a team that's been there and done it. So, um, you know, as far as they've they've gone to Super Bowls, they've gone to uh, Super Bowl, they've gone to NFC Championship games. Um, so, you know, it, it they 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 they're they're familiar with. Okay, it's now the real season. It's time to play. I just always felt like, you know, teams that are on the you know the on the come up a young Sacramento Kings team this year in the NFL, the Detroit Lions, those teams play hard early on trying to kind of define, you know, who they are and kind of change their culture. There's no changing of the Niner culture. It's been established. They're playing for the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying you pace yourself, but you're keenly aware that you can't, you know, that you have to get wins early in the year, but you really have to be peaking towards the end of the year. And I think that's, you know, when you've run the marathon and you've been there at the end of the year and you realize, uh, you know, that it takes your best at the end, you know, I think there's some tendency to let off the gas a little bit or to, you know, kind of take it as a, I don't know, maybe you're not quite as fired up in the regular season, but I just think the 49ers know that, it's go time now, and um, they're playing at a really high level. They're they're they're, I you know I think they're focused, they're determined, but you know what is this game really going to determine? It's not going to determine anything really, because the 49ers still going to have like a sixty or seventy percent chance of playing the NFC Championship game back in Philadelphia, even if they win this game. Right. So I think it's more than anything trying to you know serve a message to the Eagles that as good as you guys think you are, we're your equal and then some. And I think um, the and then some is going to be on the field on full display come Sunday. You know, when you look at who is trying to come up with the one seed and home field throughout and all that, you'd think that sitting at 10 and one, you'd be a little bit on easy street, but it's not like that at all for the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles have broken their backs getting to 10 and one. I mean, look at some of the wins that they've just put up in this recent streak. They're winning at Arrowhead. They're beating the bills uh, in a, in an overtime game. That was just a slug fest. 
Now you got the San Francisco 49ers, a team that could make an argument we might be the best team in football. After that, they got a Dallas Cowboys team that is really tough to beat at home and just, you know, played some maybe not defensively, but offensively kind of out of its mind football when it needed to happen last night. There is a shot that the 49ers with a win here could set up a scenario that has Eagles fans two, three weeks from now talking about, well, did we peak too early or just, you know, the schedule finally got to us. We were 10 and one. And then all of a sudden we were 10 and three because back-to-back losses, Niners and, and Cowboys. And if that happens, you know, let's go. <laughs> let's see if this NFC title game might not make it to Levi's after all. And the Lions are still going to be heard from Larry. Lions got a little bit of a cush schedule. They 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 lost a game on Thanksgiving they shouldn't have. And that might screw up their game plan to be hosting an NFC title game. But um, I, I just, I refuse to believe in Detroit or be worried about Detroit. I would be worried a little bit about the Cowboys and the Eagles if you're the 49ers. And that's it. I mean, those are the two teams that I think you really got to worry about come postseason and how it might all shake out. So this is just, we got good football. I mean, that's it. Well, I hope we get a game that matches the resumes that these two teams bring in. Um, and if for any reason the 49ers do go in there, live up to the hype that Las Vegas thinks they're going to live up to and win decisively, you know, the kind of win that's got everybody leading their show with how good the Niners looked on Monday, even, even shows that don't like the Niners. Uh, that's going to be a real seed change in this season. So, you know, look good, feel good, play good. The amount of feel good that would come out of this game for the 49ers, if they're able to win it, is just another reason why they got to go get it. And I think Kyle knows that. I think Brock knows that. I think the entire team knows that. This is this is a big one. This is a big one. It's huge. Um, the thing that worries me, Larry, let me ask you this big, broad question. The thing that worries me is that the Eagles, and we've seen it, they can play a bad half and still win a game. I don't know if the 49ers live in that land where they can play a bad half and still win a game in this game. Um, the Eagles, I don't know how they have covered up all of their mistakes with execution when it matters the most or just being a bully when it matters the most, but the Eagles have played poorly and won. The Niners, when they've played poorly this year, have lost all three of those games. So uh, do you think the Niners can can have a bad first half, be down at halftime and still win this game? Because I, no. I, I don't either. No. I think no. they, 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 they got to fire in both halves. I mean, you know, Philly is in a weird spot. They've been outgained by a combined 339 yards in their past three games against Buffalo, Kansas City, and Dallas. Ooh, hold all on, playoff right teams. I'm, I'm going to use that later today. I did not. I, I haven't even seen that. 339 yeah. over their last out, three. Outgained by a combined 339 yards past three games. Um, and they found ways to win these games. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's they uh, are living right. You know, and they and they and they find a way. You know, they find a way. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's to me that's that's really one of the interesting angles on this game is just that Philly has been able to win these games even when they're not necessarily playing great football. Um, so I, 
you know, I the, they they have an ability to turn it on. And like, you know, at halftime of this last game against Buffalo, Jalen Hurts had two turnovers. He had thrown for 33 yards and and they they just looked dead. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. And they beat Buffalo, you know, and they play and Hurts played almost a perfect second half and overtime. So, um, you know, Philly, Philly is is, you know, they're really, really good. Um, they're well coached. They, they have a belief that they're always going to win. And, um, you know, but to me, the, the Niners have a one area of the field that where I think they're going to win this game. And that's the middle of the field. Um, if you look at the numbers, Purdy's leading the NFL in efficiency on intermediate passes. He's averaging 13 yards per attempt on those intermediate passes. The Eagles biggest defensive deficiency is on those passes and the intermediate level between the hashes where they've allowed a 95.6 QBR. So I think that that plays right into the 49er hands. Just keep doing what you're doing well. Um, Brock Purdy completing passes in the middle of the field. So, I mean, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to, um, you know, the 49ers rely on yards after the catch. The Eagles' defense, despite allowing a huge uh, share of completions over the middle, they have tackled exceptionally well. So they're, they've eliminated the yards after the catch better than all but two other NFL teams. So they're, they're third in the NFL at minimizing yards after the catch. The Niners need to bust some big plays after the catch. And if they do, um, I, think, I think this game could be a major advantage 49ers. Banks, Brindle, Burford versus Jalen Carter. And the the middle, the rest, the rest of those Eagles in the middle. But man, he is a beast. He's an absolute monster. Teams that passed on him in the name of we don't like where he is, you know, we we don't like the status that he's stepping into the NFL with. Teams might have wanted to ignore that because he's he's special, Larry. He is a beast out there, and he is the reason why you know Hargrave became expendable. Uh, because they knew that they had a very good chance to get this guy due to his falling draft stock, which was all headline based more than talent based, you know? So uh, Jalen Carter is a beast. Are we going to see John Feliciano uh, in, involved in this game? Is, is, is he going to be rotating in for maybe a, whoever isn't playing well in the moment? You know, I asked Chris Forstry yesterday about this and he said, um, I said, Feliciano, is he superior to uh, Burford? And, you know, he didn't want to get into superior because he's trying to build up Burford. He may need Burford. Right. Um, Feliciano filled in for Burford last week against Seattle and allowed four pressures and four hurries and 34 pass-blocking snaps. Um, so he dan- so Forster danced around the question of, is, he, is Feliciano superior to Burford? But let then me, I, let me ask you, don't dance around the question. Is he? Well, I mean, you know, it's the offensive line play is a very difficult thing to evaluate, right. but I would say that he's more dependable because of his veteran experience. And when I asked Forster about it, he said that he's um, what separates Feliciano from Burford is 
Feliciano's ability as a pass protector. That he's really good in pass protection. And that he's dependable in pass protection. So they like Burford. They they feel you know like he's got a bright future. But I expect to see Feliciano, who played 66 snaps last week at right guard. I expect he's going to play uh, all the snaps at right guard. That would be my guess. All the snaps. All the snaps. Yeah, I think it. I think left to right, you're going to see. You're going to see. Uh, obviously, Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, um, Jake Brendel, and then Feliciano at right guard, and Colton McKivitz at right tackle. Um, so it's, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all goes. Feliciano only had a 44.4 uh, PFF grade, which was the lowest of the 49er offensive linemen last week against Seattle, but he's also, you know, dependable. And according to Forster, um, the strength of his game is pass protection and he's a veteran and they're, they're going to lean on um, Feliciano. You think the Eagles are tired? I think the Eagles are tired. I think the Eagles, I think the one thing that's really coming clear is that, you know, it's like when you're on top, it looks like, man, you're going to be there forever. And, um, and then all of a sudden you see the frailty of these men in these football teams when they get a little age. Who's banged up right now? Well, you got Goddard, who's coming off a fractured forearm. He said he was going to try to play, but he didn't make practice yesterday. Chances are he's not going to play. And then you've got Lane Johnson, who's got some age on him. Kelsey, who's got Kelsey. some age on him. Yeah. Uh, you got Fletcher Cox, who's got some age on him, um, who's you know got a groin is- issue, didn't practice. Uh, Zach Cunningham's not old, but he's hurt. So, you know, yeah, I think I think some of, you know, Philly's got a few older players that they lean on. Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey are are their veterans. And all those guys are a little bit dinged up, you know, and I just feel like, you know, if you said to me, do you feel better about the Niners winning this game or better about the Niners potentially winning a playoff game in Philly? Well, I feel good about this game, but I actually feel better about the Niners chances the next go round because I um, I just think that when you when you have key veteran players such a long year, it really is a war of attrition. We're starting to see the Eagles start to be you know beaten up a little bit, and I just think that um, come you know every day that goes by, it's more advantage to the younger team and the Niners. Are are the younger team? They and they have more youth on their side. So, so we'll see. But I asked I asked a Forster about Jalen Carter. I said, what separates you know? Because he highlighted two guys yesterday: Hassan Reddick, who's going up against Colton McKivitz, and he talked about how Reddick he liked him in Arizona, but he's totally gotten to a different level with Philadelphia, and that he's so fast, you know, around the corner that it puts a lot of pressure on McKivitz. I think they're probably going to help McKivitz against Reddick. But when I asked him specifically about Jalen Carter, I said, what stands out about Carter? And he's like, just the explosiveness, you know, at that size. I mean, Jalen Carter is just gives you a few moves at, you know, 6'3", 315 pounds. He's got explosive movement and speed that you just don't see in a 315-pound man. So... Uh, he's going to be an absolute beast. He was, he was a you know a monster wrecker 
at Georgia. He everybody knew that he was their best. Um, he had some off-field things, and he didn't interview real well. Supposedly, when he went up to Seattle, the Seahawks really wanted him uh, at the top of the draft. He didn't work out well. He didn't he didn't interview well. It kind of felt like maybe he didn't want to play in the Pacific Northwest, and so they went with Devin Witherspoon. But yeah, Jalen Carter is a, a spectacular um, talent. And you know what? He, you know who he reminds me of a little bit is Vita Vea. Oh, he's way faster. He Vita Vea is bigger and broader, but this guy is like, I to me he reminds me of like um, kind of a young Reggie White. Well, oh, come just, on, you just can't go a young Reggie White. It's like every good quarterback is a young Tom Brady. Come on, you're, it's the, Reggie White's one of the greatest well, this, players ever. And this guy's got some of the greatest talent I've ever seen. I mean, we're talking about a 315 pound guy who ran four nine five, you know, and and supposedly you know could have run faster. You know, some people feel like he's a four seven guy that just kind of didn't really run well um, and showed up at four nine five. You're talking about incredible movement skills. When you when I saw this guy at Georgia, he wearing 99, I thought, wow, look at this guy. Look at the movement ability. He's just got he's got short area explosiveness, and then he's also got speed. So he's just a he's a monster. He's a he's a wrecker. Um, he can get to, you know, he can he can show explosive movements inside and and you know, get he's got he's a lot more refined than you would think. Um, as a as a guy who's a rookie in the NFL, I mean it's a technique rich position, and yet his technique is really really sound. So what, no, I'm sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. What role, if any, do you think Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason play in this game in terms of of, of just being you know the understudy for Christian McCaffrey? Because the Eagles are the kind of team that takes starch out of running backs. I mean, it really does. They, they do. They, they hit, they hit hard. You, you feel the Eagles when you're playing them. You feel that football team. I think it's in the fourth quarter's best interest to make sure that Christian McCaffrey's got a little life left in those legs come fourth quarter. And I, again, get Elijah Mitchell or Jordan Mason involved. It's something that you and I have been talking about for weeks here. Yeah, I don't think Mason's going to play at all. I really don't. I mean, he um, was yeah, on the injured go, what list. Happened? What happened? Well, right now, I think he's battling a hamstring or something. I think he might have tweaked it in practice. Okay. So that's what's going on with him right now. Um, Elijah Mitchell, I think it'll be McCaffrey and Mitchell. And I think this is a McCaffrey game. I think you're going to see McCaffrey in there for almost all of the snaps. They may There may be a series in this game that they lean on Elijah Mitchell. Um, I think in an ideal world, McCaffrey can play all the snaps and then Elijah Mitchell's there in the fourth quarter as a dependable, uh, not going to fumble, um, run between the tackles, get a couple key first downs in the fourth quarter. I mean, I would say if, if you ask me, what do you, what do I think we're going to see? I think you're going to see all McCaffrey, maybe one series of Mitchell. If the 49ers are leading and want to bleed some clock and give uh, CMC a blow, or you could see all CMC and then Mitchell maybe in the fourth quarter with a lead uh, to try to you know put the game away. They really Shanahan really believes in Mitchell and his ability to 
you know, if it's blocked for two, he gets three. If it's blocked for four, he gets five. You know, and he takes great care of the football. He's very dependable. So um, I think you'll see Mitchell maybe if the Niners get a lead, one series in the first half. And if things go really well, you'll see Mitchell in there in the fourth to help put the thing away. Debo more carries than Elijah Mitchell. Yes. Yes. I think so too. I, I mean, that's the thing. I think what happened to Jordan Mason hamstring concerns aside, if he tweaks something this week was that Debo Samuel is rounding into healthy enough to where Kyle wants to get him involved in the razzle dazzle and out of the backfield. And it's just the, the 49ers are at their best when Debo is involved and he was really involved against Seattle. I expect him to be really involved in this game too. And I think he was so involved against, against Seattle that the Eagles are going to be on double Debo alert, you know, no matter where he goes, if you, um, the, the fact that he pulled up to throw a pass in the last game, Ayuk didn't spring open, so he didn't let it fly. Uh, but I think that that's got to be on the mind of the Eagles. Uh, the one coach that we haven't talked about at all is Sirianni, who, you know, is, is look, I don't, I don't know how good he is anywhere else, but he seems to be a really good head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, man. He, it, whatever he's putting down, that team is picking up and He's he's a little fiery. He's got some red ass in him. He yells at fans when he's walking off the field. Uh, Sirianni is a coach that you hate when he's coaching against you. If he were your coach, you'd probably like him. You know, I guess. I mean, he to me, he rubs me wrong, man. I just do not like Sirianni. I just think he's I mean, what other coach that you can you think of mugs for the camera? I mean, he did that in a game. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, coaches should coach and I don't think coaches, uh, should talk on the field to fans and that kind of thing. This guy will scream at fans and you know, he's just, he's a different, he's a different cat for sure. I mean, you can't, you can't say anything about his coaching. I mean, he's, he's done some incredible things, um, as a coach. I mean, he's they're, they're his team's ready to play and they play smart. And there's an intensity about him, and maybe you know um, his team has to has to uh, cash the checks that his mouth writes, uh, you know. But um, it, it seems like you know he's he's emotional, he's volatile, he's Philly, he's Philly. Here here's one of the reasons I can't stand him. Here he is right here. This is him, and uh, this is him in. I'll say we'll see By the way, this guy in front of him is Bob Lang. If you recognize Bob, oh Lang. yeah, I do remember Bob. Bob Lang's lost a little hair here, and he's he's uh, walking in front of uh, Siri uh, Sirianni. This is after they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Here it is. I mean, you know, I don't mind emotion. I don't, I don't mind that. But yeah, Clown, yelling man. at fans and swearing at him walking off the field, it probably is a little conduct unbecoming an NFL head coach. But I think his team I don't know, feeds, man. I, 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 I think his team feeds off of it. Yeah. I do. It, Philadelphia. What about this one when he found the camera and he's like, "Do you remember that 
when he was like mugging for the camera on the sideline of the in the playoffs last year. He's just he's just a I don't know. He says he, I think he's probably a deep a good guy deep down. He's just if he if he's your coach, you probably love him. If he's not your coach, he kind of reminds me uh he's the most easy to hate coach since Jimmy Johnson. Because Jimmy John he reminds me a lot of Jimmy Johnson in that he's damn good and he's very brash and will tell you. Well, and again, it that fits Philadelphia. I mean, the wallflower, the quiet type that don't want to get into it, don't want to mix it up, afraid of Howard Eskin. Like that doesn't do well in Philadelphia, you know. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. you need to be. Uh, th- there's a town where having an awful lot of "I'm a dickhead too" in your DNA will help you. Well, well supposedly he listens to uh, um, the the song from Rocky Four, "No No Shortcut Home." There's uh, no easy way out. No easy way out. No yeah. shortcut home. That's where uh, Rocky um, shifts 64 times in a Ferrari. There's there's more shifting than there is driving in that montage. Yeah, it's hilarious too because supposedly he's going like 85 miles an hour through the through the city of uh, Philly, <laughs> and yet if you look at his eyes, he's look he looks like he's kind of staring off to the right and left in the distance as this car that he's operating, the sports car is going 85 miles through the middle of a city. Larry, you know, it's just, Apollo it's just, just died. Cut the man some slack. Would you, I mean, he's got his buddy in his arms. Hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta play you one more thing here. This was uh, the great Jody Mack. I had him on this week on the crew. I love show. Jody. Jody Mack is one of my favorites. And I asked him, I said, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the talk in Philly? And listen to what he says here. Talk is it? Uh, is there? A, there, there a, Jody, you, okay, Jody, you you do a lot of radio, so you talk to the fans. You're on the front lines. You you get a chance to get a real feel for it. What's the big dialogue centered on this week uh, with the 49ers coming to town? Is it just a lot of trash talk? Is it? Uh, is there a certain matchup the Eagle fan feels like they can exploit? Is there? Is there what? What you know? What's the talk? What gives the Eagle fans? Uh, you know, the swag, if they didn't already have swagger, what would give them swagger or what are they, what are they talking about on the airwaves out there? It's, you know, it's funny, Larry. Um, it's a carryover from last year. And I got a lot of this before the NFC championship game, which I had to say, okay, if you're going to take that attitude, that's on you. I'm not going there. The Brock Purdy, same way the 49ers did after the fact saying we would have won the game. Right. Eagle fans before the game was playing. Brock Purdy is not coming into our house and winning. You don't know that. I'm glad that you have confidence. I'm glad that you feel that way. <laughs> but I wouldn't use that word. Will not. Probably will not. I don't think he will. It'd be a surprise if. All those things you can say. But they're very definitive and declarative about Brock Purdy's not coming into this house and winning. Okay, I if you beat well, and you didn't beat Purdy last year, beat the 49ers. Right. But if uh, Purdy's on the field for all four quarters and the Eagles win by do something they haven't done in a while, win by double digit points, then yes, you're gonna be able to go. What I tell you, Jody, Purdy's not winning in this house. But if Purdy goes in and wins, a lot of people are gonna have to eat their words here in Philadelphia. Okay, Jody, you you do a lot. So there you go. Underestimate Brock Purdy at your own risk. The NFL has not done very well underestimating. And by the way, I just want to give Jody a little. I've never seen anyone quite wear a pair of headsets like that. I mean, he is 
like this. I mean, <laughs> so who wears their headphones like this except for Joey? I mean, Why? Like, <laughs> well, hey, hey, when you've been, when he's on IP, he's on W Fan, he's on CBS Sports Radio. So I decided, you know, yesterday, and a lot of people didn't like this question. I got a lot of heat for this, but I asked Purdy yesterday because I knew. I, this And this was not like one guy that I talked to. I talked to three different Philly guys. You talked to John Kincaid. Almost all of them centered on, well, Purdy. They're not beating them. They're not coming in here with Brock Purdy and beating the Eagles. Like, like Purdy's the weak link. And so I asked Brock, and I made sure that uh, he heard this. And here's the question from yesterday's presser that some people kind of got mad at me on Twitter for asking this question. Did you promote your YouTube channel? Did you hold up a clip of your channel and say, look at this? No. You should have. All right. You're going you to click a button there or something? Oh, I didn't. Wait, hold on a second. I, 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 did I miss it here? Hold on. Maybe You, I you, you might have played it on your end, but it didn't pop Oh, up I got you. I got you. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I'm playing this. I'm losing my mind here. All right. So you got a, a lot of buttons on, uh, on this. Okay. So here we go. We got to share the screen. There we go. Okay. Here we go. Here it is. Brock. Um the media people I've talked to this week describing the dialogue around this game said that the Philly people feel like specifically you are the weak link. Does, I know you say you play with a cheap, uh, you know, chip on your shoulder. How does that, does that motivate you in any way that, that the perception is that it's that you're the weak link? Yeah. That's the first time I've heard that. So I don't really know exactly how I feel about that. Um, they think that that's fine. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm playing quarterback for 49ers, and we have a good team. I'm just kind of trying to do my job and help them win. So, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, and and it, you know, I it wasn't my favorite question to ask. Um, you know, it's I, I you know me. I, I I'm a Purdy believer, but um, I heard it enough times this week, and I thought, you know what, this is a guy who you know, absolutely plays with a chip on his shoulder, absolutely takes notice of what's being said. Let's add a little, let's add a little chip to that chip. Um, and you know, you, you saw it there, he smiled and everything, but he took notice of it. Um, and we'll see how he plays on Sunday and I will see how Philly fans feel about him being the weak link. Um, cause you know, and I know that not only has he not been the weak link, he has led them to this point. He is the number one reason that the 49ers are playing so good. And I think offense. he's got to be part of the reason why they win this game. If they win this game, I mean, there is, there's a secondary to be taken advantage of, and that's not the job of the running back or the, you know, the, the offensive tackle to take care. It's, it's the quarterback's job to take advantage of that weakness. And it's his job. I, uh, <laughs> getting yelled at in the chat here. Larry uh Erwin Kwong. Larry equals Brock's gas man hashtag motivation. Uh this one is this is what I'm bossing me on. I agree with you here. He says, Thank you for the donation. He says, reminds me of his reaction to Patrick Peterson. Kind of, yeah. When yeah. he's like, Oh, is that Pat Pete? Did I did I go after him on that? Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, you did, and you know you did. Here's the thing. There are so many, there are so many different, you know, uh, stations at the buffet table that a, a, a real, true pro NFL quarterback has to be good at. And one of those things, 
one of those elements of in order to serve a full meal, you got to have this too, is you got to have a good podium game. Brock Purdy's podium game is as much a 10-year NFL vet as some of the actual game footage that he puts out there. You know, I mean, he really is a mature young kid. And he didn't take your total setup. Hey, Brock, in Philadelphia, they think you're a total pussy. What do you think about that, Brock? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's it's the way that he, you know, just schluffed that off and said, there's, you know, I'm I'm smart enough to not give anyone any bulletin board material. I'm just going to smile and tell you that I got a job to do and we got a good team. That's savvy, man. That's why this kid is not going to play for just, a handful of years, but could have a decade long career if he's healthy enough to have such a thing in the NFL. I mean, he really, what I don't understand, what I don't understand is how people pick and choose what is important only based on whether or not it helps make their argument about a quarterback. You know, there are people who would want to dismiss an athlete and say, well, then look beyond the athletic prowess and then into the numbers. Let's get into the analytics. Let's get into the the deep stats, the advanced metrics. Not only does Purdy, I think, absolutely amaze people with how much of of an on-field athlete he really is. I mean, he's, he's got great legs. He's got great footwork. He's got great speed. He's got pretty good burst. He can get to a corner. He he's more of an athlete. You look at him, you underestimate him as an athlete. And that's where I think a lot of mistakes are made. Don't underestimate this kid as an actual athlete because he is, he might not have the body type, but boy, he's got the wiggle in him. He really does. And then he's got escapability. He's got the same thing that Mahomes has. They don't run fast, really, for the stopwatch. You wouldn't necessarily call Mahomes fast, but he can spurt away. You wouldn't necessarily call Purdy fast, but he's got his, you know, he's got that one, five, four, 10 yard split, which is very similar to Tyreek Hill. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's quickness, It's, it's short area quickness. You know, it's like J.T. Snow. J.T. Snow, if you're a Giants fan, one of the short area, quickest guys you're going to find It made him a gold glove first baseman. You put him on second base and somebody singles to center field, he's he's thrown out by 10 feet. Yeah, he's slow. He's not fast in a 40-yard deal. He's not fast in a sprint, but he's very quick. And that's what Purdy is. He's very, very quick. So if you want to denigrate the athlete, and then say, well, it's deeper than that. You got to go inside the numbers. What I don't understand is how Brock Purdy, he's got the best numbers in football. Like, he's not at the top of the, he's not around the top of the list. It's him at the top of the list. I mean, one of the theories that I brought up with John Kincaid is that, look, if if Brock Purdy were just perceived as cooler, you know, like if, if his name were Johnny Laserbeam, and he wore the cool shades or something like if, if he just checked the box of America thinks this guy's cool. However, you check that box. I wouldn't know how I'm not cool. But <laughs> but however you go about checking that box, had Brock Purdy checked that box, I think a lot of people would be telling you, man, I really like this guy. Because the boxes that he does check are all this like, oh, best passing ratio, best touchdown to pass ratio. Best Best under pressure. Exactly, exactly. He's the best against any defense you can throw at him. He's literally in a quadrant of 
a, 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 a flow chart of every single NFL quarterback. He's in a quadrant that no other quarterback is even close to. And this while guy, operating behind an offensive line that's 28th in the NFL in, in pass block win rate. How come whenever Aaron Rodgers is having an MVP year, people will tell you, like, look at all these advanced metrics, and it just shows you that he's the MVP. But when it's Brock Purdy doing it, all of a sudden, these advanced right. metrics don't matter nearly as much. Like, it, it that's well, and look at all the people who are yelling for CMC to be the MVP when really it's been a quarterback award and Brock's number one in all these categories. Do you think that, you know, if, if Mahomes was number one in all these categories, People would be like, oh, yeah, he's the hands-down MVP. Oh, it would because be. Because it's Brock, it's like, oh, yeah, well, he, you know, that's uh, that's that's an aberration. Right. He's got to be somebody of, else. He's number one in the NFL in all these categories, it, it, and but that's just happenstance. Like, he's right. he's, he's, a, he's a Shanahan. He's long for the ride there. Or or, or here's, here's the other one. You know, if Shanahan, if the Niners lose, Shanahan's got, you know, on the hot seat, Shanahan sucks, Shanahan. But then when, when it's time to talk about Brock winning the MVP, he's got Shanahan. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's got Shanahan. Right. Not, not even counter, not even factoring in that when Brock Purdy came off the bench in week 13 last year against the Dolphins, all non-Jimmy Garoppolo quarterbacks under Kyle Shanahan were 9-29. and 29. And yet... Brock comes in, plays great, and suddenly he's got Shanahan. Beathard had Shanahan. Mullins had Shanahan. You know, all these other donkeys that couldn't win. Jack had Shanahan. But suddenly Brock wins games, and it's it's Shanahan. So, I, you know, it's just another example of the argument and, and being able to redefine someone to just fit your argument more than be consistent with how you define someone. Jim Harbaugh is literally the Lord of Ann Arbor. Everything that happens in his fiefdom and his kingdom, he is the master of. He pulls every single puppet string. There is no detail or element of Michigan football that escapes him in any way, shape, or form right until they get in a cheating scandal. And it's, oh, Jim never knew. <laughs> he is just a victim of circumstance. Jim Harbaugh had no idea who Connor Stallions even was. And, and he, he didn't know about any of this sign-stealing scandal. And Jim... And, and Jim, who was a, a control freak, had no control over any of this. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. Right. It's ridiculous. Just, like suddenly he's like a vendor in, 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 at, at the, in the big house. Right. Oh, he's like, lucky he, to be here. He, he had just, no idea. Get your popcorn. Get your, you know, he's just suddenly just a guy walking around instead of like the czar that all is Michigan football. Let's Should go into some of these uh, supers. Supers, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's get into it here. And let's get into it. We love everyone. We see that the comments are flying. We just don't have time to read all of them. Uh, and 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 people who who pay for the shine that they, they get priority. So what do we got, Larry? Well, we just got so many good ones. So let's. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Um, okay, let's go right to the. We'll just go right to the supers. Go right down the list. The mayor of Murfreesboro. Jay Hutch, Hutch serves gaming out in Murfreesboro. He came to the pregame show last week from With Tennessee. Hutch. Yeah, Hutch is great. He says uh, KMBR made a mistake when they got rid of Fitz and they broke up Fitz and Brooks, the Fitz and Brooks show. But I love the TKB show and KMBR died the day they got rid of Larry and Rod. There you go. 
KNBR actually died the day that they let me cross the street and go to 95-7 the game. It was a slow death, but I eventually killed him. <laughs> well, you know what? It's This isn't... I'll, let me just make one statement on this because there seems like there's an awful lot of dialogue about what happened this week at KNBR. Well, people want to hear about I think we should save it for the end of the show a okay. little bit. Let's, no but problem. I, it, we will circle back to it because we obviously have a deep connection with both the stations and you specifically at KNBR, you know, you were there much more recently than I was. I'm, I'm a decade removed from KNBR, but I still care deeply about some of the things that happened there that weekend. And, and or this, oh, I do as well. I do as weekend. well. And we have a lot to say about that. Well, that, we'll hit, are, you want to hit that last of all the super chats to start with. That wasn't the one. Well, I'm just going right down the line. We're going to take right. them in the order they came. Rob Watson says it's the final countdown. Here we go. Asia. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Uh, Clarence Beeks, member for 17 months, says let's effing go. Thank you, Clarence. Clarence Beeks. Uh, do you know Clarence Beeks? Damon, are you familiar with Clarence Beeks? It's, uh, it's a character in a movie, is it not? <laughs> it, was, it was the guy who was the... The, the the guy who set up Dan Aykroyd in trading places. Remember, he he yes. was the guy. Somebody here has a marked, you know, we marked a hundred dollar bill. Uh, yeah, and yeah, okay. That guy was such a jerk. Remember, he's at, he. My favorite scene is Clarence Beeks is in the back in the day when there was a phone booth. Remember the phone booth? Yes. Younger people say, "What's a phone booth?" Um. Anyway, there was a phone booth, and the guy's on the street of Philadelphia. And somebody comes up to him and he's on the phone and he goes, get lost, maggot. <laughs> he just, this guy was just ugly yeah. and and just, he just wrong in every and way. Then, you know, it just shows you when you act like that and you treat people like that at the end of the movie, you get stuck in a rubber gorilla suit and you get humped by an actual gorilla. That's right. That's there right. Trading places, uh, which is best known for fr full frontal nudity from Jamie Curtis. Strong scene, strong scene. Very important uh, slice of my developmental libido. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie Lee Curtis. Man, you had it going on back in the day. All right. Discovery Bay Comics says radio is dead. The talent is right here on YouTube. Appreciate you, too, for Thank keeping you. it real. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, brother. Glass half full guy says, did you guys see Colin Coward's take that Purdy isn't the guy because he wears his hat backwards? That's a dumb take to me. I mean, that's, that's seriously, out of things to talk about. Like you're now you're inventing new ways to not like someone because you just you didn't invite them to dinner, so you don't want to serve them their meal. And well, it's, no, it's, I mean, happy 101st birthday to Colin Cowherd. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations on Colin for being 101 years old. I mean, seriously, if you want to sound like the old man, get off my get off my lawn. You don't like Brock Purdy because he wore his hat backwards to a presser, Colin. Seriously, check yourself, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, that, that's a bit more. I mean, didn't didn't we do that with Ken Griffey Jr. in a batting cage in 1987? I mean, it's, come on. Seriously, and Tom Brady's done it a ton. And who cares how you wear your hat? Um, what's next? You don't like him because uh, he got a tat or something? I mean, you know, where are we going here? Oli Kao says, and I, if I butchered that, I apologize. He said, should we be worried about a letdown after a win against the Eagles? Hopefully no three-game losing streak again. Well, um, no, because I, I think you got a, a really good game to get your full attention right after the Eagles, too. Yeah, Seattle. I mean, the, the, the Seattle is, I mean, look at it this way. Had Seattle won, 
on Thursday night football, it would even be more of a tension. But there's there's enough of a division rivalry there that um, I don't think the 40... I, I think his premise is wrong. You know, the old saying, if your premise is wrong, your conclusion is wrong. I don't believe the Niners let down after Dallas. I think they ran into a really good defense on a wet day. They lost Debo. They lost Trent. They got McCaffrey hurt. And they still had a chance to win it. And the yeah. rookie kicker missed a kick. And then what happened the next week? Then they got absolutely crushed on third down by Kirk Cousins. The week after that, they got beat by a Bengals team and a quarterback that was absolutely peaking and, in my opinion, would have been a Super Bowl caliber team if uh, Burrow hadn't gone down. I think Burrow's – I don't know how you feel, but I'm a Burrow head. I think Burrow's spectacular. And I just think that Cincinnati um, easily could have been a Super Bowl team they had all the makings, and it just didn't happen injury-wise for them. Yeah, no. Look, it's you know. Joe, I don't think anybody let down. Joe Burrow isn't a value add. He is the center of the map. You know, I mean, without without him, the Bengals got nothing, and with him, they are maybe good enough to win a Super Bowl. That's 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 who he is. It's why he was the number one pick in the draft. Jamar um, Chase, T. Higgins. Uh, they ran the ball well. They've got the Hill, bro- the H brothers uh, on the other side with. Hubbard and Hendrickson. They had five DBs that ran sub four three or something like that. And the Niners couldn't run wide. They couldn't. I mean, um, you know, I give the Bengals theirs. They were pretty damn good. Uh, Wonder Boy says, thanks for the content. If there's time, I have a nerdy radio question. What was it like to do a show with Radnich? Did Hammer ask you to rein him in? Uh, no, nobody asked me to rein him in and, um, it, doing a show with Gary was wonderful. Um, he was the ultimate entertainer. He loved to talk to people and, um, he, you know, he, he, I was there for the minutia and he was there to, you know, to, uh, to be the MC and, and, and be the entertainment. Um, and it worked and we got 12 shares. I have uh, the exact opposite experience. There is never a worse co-host, a uh, less honest person that I've ever worked with in my life than Gary Radnich. I, I, I got no hard feelings about Gary. Didn't work. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did, did total opposite. Total opposite uh, experience with but Damon worked with him for how long? And I worked for, with him for a decade. So you worked with him for like oh, two weeks or something. Like three days before he started <laughs> playing the I'm not coming in bullshit card. Here's the thing. I scared the hell out of Gary because he shrunk when he was next to me. That's what happened. To use Gary's own words against him, he shrunk when I was in the room. Uh, I'll, I'll push back and say that Gary has to Gary has to fully respect the people that he works with and he didn't have that respect. You guys didn't had, hadn't cultivated that relationship. I had a much different relationship with him. We had many, many, many battles. Well, I didn't kiss we, his ass either. I mean, that's why he didn't like me. Well, I didn't I, kiss I, his I, ass, but I, 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 I wasn't there for any of his bullshit. I didn't kiss his ass either, but, hmm. um, but he had respect. He had respect for me because we had gone head to head. I don't know. I mean, it's just, that's my perception of it. Uh, Bazzi Mian says, reminds me of his reaction regarding Patrick Peterson. We did that. We did that. Yeah. About about Brock, uh, just, just blowing off criticism and nonsense outside the echo chamber, pig in a pickle. 
When's yeah, the this would be, together? This would be a good month. That's right. On the, the 17th of December, I'm going to be doing a meet and greet. Damon gave me the idea of doing a meet and greet with fans. And so on the 17th of December, coming up here in 16 days um, for the Niners Cardinals road game, we're going to do a 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. meet and greet at Pig and a Pickle in Emory, in uh, Corte Madera. Don't go to Emeryville. Go to Corte Madera in Marin. And we're going to watch the Niner game, drink some beers, have some barbecue, uh, talk shop. My Kev will be there. My wife will be there. Damon's planning on coming with his wife, maybe, and and definitely his mother is going to be the in town. Duchess. So the Duchess is coming. I'm bringing everybody. I'm bringing my I'm bringing my uh, my family, my kids, uh, everybody I can round up. We'll all be at Pig and a Pickle. So join us on the 17th. I know I realize there's lots of people who watch our YouTube channels from you know, either outside the market or maybe they're in Sacramento, L.A., wherever. Uh, but we will be there on the 17th for Niners Cardinals, and we'll do the postgame show from um, from uh, Pig and a Pickle. So join us on the 17th at Pig and a Pickle. Damon, uh, Br- Damon Stainbrook, the owner of Pig and a Pickle, uh, just checked with me yesterday. We're on the dates. Now, you know what, you, what I would suggest? We're going to be there from, like, noon to, like, when it closes at 8 o'clock. Um, it's a great shopping mall and it's December 17th. So if you're, maybe you're not into the Niners, maybe you are, maybe you don't want to sit in the restaurant for a bunch of hours, uh, but stop by, have something to eat. And then if you want, go Christmas shopping. It's the, the 17th of uh, December. Quarter, yeah. yeah Quarter Madera is awesome. It's fantastic. It really is. I've been there yeah. a couple of times and um, it's a great mall. So you can go and it's an outside mall. So you can kind of, and there's all kinds of stores all over there. So stop by, say hello, uh, have some brisket, have a beer, and then uh, go Christmas shopping for a couple hours, and maybe come back and and watch the Niners Cardinals post game show. And Damon, you're, you know, you're always part of our post game. I don't know what your deal is that day, but you're more than welcome to join us on the post-game show um, from from uh, Pig and a Pickle. Well, the right thing there. is, I've got my own post-game show to to host, of course. But are you doing it that day? Because you got, you're going to have your mom and your yeah. wife? No okay. days off, Blair. No days off. Okay. But, uh, uh, but, but yeah, I will, you know, when, when I wrap up, if I can hop on with you, I will for a little bit. That's kind well, of bring, the... Uh, if you want, you, I, mean, if you, I mean, if you're home at, at that point, then do it from home. But if you want, you could probably go live and just... Uh, you know, a few feet away from us and do your own post-game show via your, you know, laptop and that kind of thing and throw rolls at you while we're, we're doing <laughs> yeah. food fighting. Dueling post-game shows. shows and then yeah. you can come uh, on over. Look, uh, look, uh, it's, it's great barbecue. It's great best. barbecue. It's going to be a great crowd. A lot of like-minded people. I really like Damon when I met him. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Damon guy. Larry, you got some very important Damons in your life these days, and uh, and I, I look forward to being up there with you. It's going to be great to come out and support you for all the support you've given me. By the way, the support of the audience in just the last uh, few days has been extraordinary. Uh, I've crossed the 10,000 subscriber threshold, which is a big deal in the YouTube hierarchy. Would you? I think you're the one who told me, Larry, only 2% of all YouTube channels get more than 10,000 subscribers. So it's very difficult to get to 10,000 subs, man. So yeah, way to no, go. So it's good there. And uh, boy, anyone who is, is watching Larry and I take over this market from YouTube. I mean, we, Larry, we're honestly now we're the biggest sports talk radio station in town. Whenever we do something together, we have a bigger audience than both stations combined. 
for the most part. A thousand people in the room right now watching this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, Betsy Meon says, 